I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. All right, we are we are back talking about liturgy. Uh, that's what mm-hmm. we do. We're the liturgy guys. We talk about liturgy. You know, I find you rather ancient and venerable, Jesse. <laughs> well, I was born in the 1900s, so there's the ancient part. Yes. The venerable. Chris is more ancient. If he was going to be a girl, his name was going to be Gloria, too. G-L-O-R-I, Gloria, got you on the run. Well, is, are you guys alluding to what we're talking about? Never. Today? Well, a little bit. We're just going to spend a few minutes on the Gloria, and then we're going to go right to the collect. The collect. Oh, man. Okay. Well, we'll spend as much time as we I want. Ha- I have a collect in my hair right now. Yeah, I can't get do. that last oh, bit. Collect. <laughs> now, All right. The Gloria, uh, you can read about in the Order of Mass number eight or the Germ number 53. Before. And as Dennis just said, it's an ancient and venerable hymn. Uh, now, a couple of things there. Um I don't know if these historians know this, but apparently by the fifth century, it was all, it was in the books that uh, the glory would be there. But what's the other word there that uh, I'm noticing, Dennis? Ancient and venerable. Uh, gathered together in the Holy Spirit, that one? No. Glorifies and trusts to God the Father him. and the Lamb? Him. This is a hymn. Oh, yeah. It's a very ancient and venerable hymn. Now, we always say hymns are mostly devotional and they don't get added to the mass but this is a hymn that is so singular and so liturgical in its character that has become permanent yeah and the 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 main place of the hymns at mass are not like the opening hymn or the offertory hymn or the closing hymn or things like that it's like the gloria for example is one of these hymns that uh is a part of the missal otherwise right there are and there's it's psalmody that we're singing at mass when uh Here's a quiz question, Jesse, Dennis. When are you supposed to use this Gloria? On days of certain festivity. On solemnities? Feasts and solemnities. Okay, that's one. Actually, Dennis, you mentioned another one. I did. On days of a more solemn character. Oh, that may not be feasts. Yeah, can you give an example? Well, I asked you about this. We have the Angelico Fellows here at Benedictine College and the feast day of Blessed Fra Angelico is February 18th. And I said, if we have mass, can we increase the level of solemnity, even though it's neither a feast nor a solemnity in the mind of the church? So it would be kind of a local festivity. You said I could do Gloria, but not Creed, and I could use incense. (laughs) Good. All right. I stand by that. that. (laughs) Past tense Chris is so smart. (laughs) Present tense Chris. Armchair liturgist, Monday morning liturgist. Uh, But also was of a more solemn character is, you know, all of the ritual masses now have a Uh, Gloria. Right. So a rite of marriage, rite of confirmation, et cetera. Uh, doesn't matter the time of year that has a glory. OK, so uh, solemnities, feasts, celebrations of more solemn character and Sundays oh. outside of Advent and Lent. Oh, that's right. Well, Sunday's always a solemnity anyway, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, but you wouldn't use it. I mean, it's a, it would be a, a Sunday of Lent would be a solemnity, but you wouldn't use it then too. Right. And, so, uh, and you wouldn't use it on Letare Sunday or Gaudete Sunday. Sometimes that's a confusing thing. Oh Even yeah, you would Letare think Sunday. those little uh, freedom from the penitential quality of a season like Lent would say, give us a Gloria on our yeah. day, but it's not. Huh. No, no. But again, so the, the penitential act 
uh, now with this ancient and venerable hymn that praises the Father through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Again, it's still part of those uh, introductory rites that are helping to dispose us to celebrate and to unite us into a single body. So anyway, but I want to move. Dennis, do you have anything else you want to say about the uh, uh, Gloria? Well, I have a liturgy question about the Gloria. Yeah, well, save it for the liturgy we'll save it question. For liturgy. Send it to questions at liturgyguys.com. Six year, you don't know how this goes? All right, I'll save it. Well, I think it's, um, you know, very important to realize how biblical the Gloria is, you know, yeah. the glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill or men of goodwill. This is what the angels say to the shepherds, right, before the Christ is uh, born. So the first line is not just glorifying God because he's God and we're not. It's glorifying God because his plan of salvation, and you go through all the lines one by one, and you can really see everything has a certain um, quality. It's also an eschatological hymn in some ways, because this is what the angels and saints are singing. God's praises yeah. the whole time and telling him how great and wonderful are his works and all of that. So, And what do we do? We praise him, bless him, adore him, glorify him. And this is, this is exactly what we do. I'm sure you're wondering what my favorite line of the glory is. So I'm going to tell you. But I love that little hey, uh, litany. <laughs> we praise you. We bless you. We adore you. We glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Thanks, that's, God. That's, that line is, thanks for being glorious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's, uh, anyway. we give you thanks as opposed to we thank you. There's a different Latin construction, right? We bless you, but we give you thanks. Is a funny mm. uh, legacy of history that I suppose the ISIL translators had to, had to deal with. But then there's this proclamation of faith, right? Lord God, only begotten son, like we're saying who Christ is. What does he do? He takes away the sins of the world. Who's the holy one? He is. Who? Only him, right? And so you have all this only begotten son language, that all of the scripture, you alone are the Lord, no false gods of the ancient world. And then, you know, we say amen at the end. Like, we, this is what we believe. And in many ways, I mean, it's not a creed, but it has a kind of creedal character to it, I'd say. Yeah, it's good weren't expecting that were you chris no i wasn't i wasn't all right so if um can we go to the collect now well we'll give short the gloria short uh end of the stick okay let's go to the collect which you know what someone once asked me what was my favorite collect Ooh. and i was just like ah <laughs> there's so many collects they're oh, so, they're so varied many. i couldn't possibly pick just one <laughs> <laughs> that's like asking me which one of my kids is my favorite <laughs> Well, parents have favorite children. Yeah. Evening, so. Oh, Good thing your family my, doesn't listen to yeah, this. Yeah, my kids aren't listening to this. Yeah. But what anyway. is a collect? It's a funny word, like collect, you know, like it take is, up the collection. I read in uh, Father Randy Stice, L.I. alum and uh, former, uh, was he associate director of the Bishop's Committee on Divine Worship for the USCCB? He wrote an article for Adoramus about the collect. And I learned actually something I thought I knew, but I didn't, that the term collect, he says... I think he's drawing from Joseph Jungmann's Mass of the Roman Rite, originally meant the location or the place or the spot in which the people would collect themselves before beginning their procession to one of the stational churches in uh, the city of Rome. Right. So, you know, there's this Rome has this tradition of stational churches that always begin with a procession. And so. Apparently, people would gather and then there would be this oration or prayer, and then they would begin the procession to go to the stational church. So uh, what used to be uh, apparently the the spot or the location where the people would gather came to be this term collect or collect, I guess collect, came to be uh, applied to that prayer that kind of sort of, 
I don't know. I, I'm making this up here, but I think it might be right. It's almost like you, know, you got the families that, okay, let's go. Let's We got to get ready for church. Everybody into the van. That's basically what the collect does is, okay, everybody, let's all gather together and we're going to set out. And so uh, the term collect was transferred from the location to the actual uh, prayer. Hmm. Yeah, because collect literally means con together and uh, ledger together. Collectio. Right, to gather together. You know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a gathering space of the first couple of centuries. of mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. What's a space? Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't get me started. Uh, it's the you nothing. You got yourself started. It's the you nothing that takes the character of the architecture that's built around it. starter That's yeah. good. Okay, well, how do you do a collect? Um, the order of mass actually says... All it says at number nine is uh, when the hymn, the glory is concluded, the priest with hands joined says, let us pray. All pray in silence with the priest for a while. Then the priest with hand extended says the collect prayer at the end of which the people say amen. So a couple of things that we could say. So the germ at number 54 says a little bit more uh, about it. So this is bringing to a conclusion the introductory rites. Right. So this is all we've gotten through thus far. So the the procession, the veneration of the altar, the sign of the cross, the greeting, penitential act, the glory. And now the collect will conclude the introductory rites, which begins, opens and prepares the people. That's how the church describes that establishes individuals as a collective unit, as a mystical body and disposes them. So there's the let us pray. And then there's a silence and the uh, the germ explains what's supposed to be going on during that silence. There's two options. Do you want to guess what they are? Uh, well, I remember Father Martis always said, let us pray does not mean bring me the book. Do you remember that one? <laughs> That's true. That's true. There's two things that are supposed to happen during this silence, right? This is this is really great. Uh, I mean, right, we're supposed to actively participate in the liturgy and we don't know what's going on. So this is pretty good. The first thing it says is that all are to, quote, become aware of being in God's presence, end quote. That's the first thing. So Mm. after the let us pray, during the silence, the people are to become aware of being in the presence of God. Yeah, that's pretty important. Well, it is. You might think back to that uh, uh, that line of Jesus. That's probably not the way to say it. Uh, that verse of the sacred scriptures where, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. And so for that and other reasons, the first thing is we're aware of being in God's presence. And the second is to, quote, call to mind their intentions. Right. So when the priest says, let us pray, what are the people supposed to be doing? Be aware of God's presence yeah. and, and bring their intentions. Bringing it forward. What is it I'm praying for? You know what my old outdated translation of the general instruction says about that line? It says, "Form uh, formulate their petitions mentally. It's interesting. It's the same idea, but it's a little clearer, right? Formulate your petitions. What does yours say there? Call to mind their intentions. Yeah, it's the same idea, but so like you're about to... Ask God for, you just had your penitential thing. Like, what do you want now that you've said you're God and I'm not? It's kind of an interesting moment. And you I know what? I feel like instead of the applause sign, we need the be aware of God's presence. That's right. Ultimate your attention sign. That's like the Eastern deacons running around. Wisdom, be attentive. It's like formulate your <laughs> <Yeah>. intentions. <laughs> well, you know, they, uh, so I, I read somewhere, I think I read somewhere, is that, um, you know how those... Uh, petitions on Good Friday work is the deacon says, let us pray, brothers and sisters, for yeah. those who do not believe in God, that such and such and such and such and let such. Let us and then stand, he says, let us kneel. Let us kneel. 
let us stand is that a, apparently uh, at some places and sometimes in the tradition, the people would actually kneel at this point. So the priest would say, let us pray. And the people would kneel and pray in silence. Now, the rubric doesn't say that now, but I think it, that makes the point, Dennis, that you were uh, speaking to before is think of that mentally the next time you hear at mass, let us pray, is that you're in God's presence. You're intentionally, actively calling to your mind your intentions in your particular life, you know, for your job, your grandma, for your kids in college, what, for potty training your five-year-old, whatever it is. I mean, all of those things are to be brought to mind, okay? Which is one of the reasons, right, why, why the, the priest needs to actually pause and let people do this, because if he doesn't, then you know, it just kind of keeps going through, you know, like rumbling through like a truck or something. There, there's no time to do that. Yeah. And this reminds me of all the mystical body theology again, which, you know, everything reminds me of mystical body theology. But, right, you have all these petitions of people, right? In the Eucharistic prayer, we talk about putting yourself on the paten and in the chalice because the priest as the head is going to offer to the Father. I think you can say kind of the same thing too, right? The priest collects up, gathers together all these individual silent intentions and then says some kind of prayer addressed to the Father through Christ. And I don't want to jump ahead of you, but I will. The last line in the section of the general instruction uh, says, the people uniting themselves to this entreaty make their prayer their own with the acclamation. In other words, yeah, the priest just gave this to God, and I will say amen, because I will say, yes, I allowed the priest to collect all of our intentions and give them to the Father. Well, that's just right. You wonder, you know, we're, we're grousing from the nave about what the priest is doing wrong. Now, imagine the priest just says, let us pray, and and nobody <laughs> is, is offering anything for him to collect. Yeah, oremos in Latin means uh, read the bulletin, doesn't it? Isn't that how you translate it? <laughs> That's right. So, That's ad oremos. I give you right. finally credit for that one, Jesse. Uh, one joke yeah. I can give a thumbs up to. But even think of, think of his hands. So he says, let us pray together. And then he opens his arms up as if just to reach out and to, to, to physically collect all of these intentions and to sum them up in one prayer and give them to God. Now, and you're right, Dennis. I mean, if you say amen to that, it presumes two things. One, that you've actually brought to your mind some intention to, to give to God. But two, you've been listening to this prayer that you're about to assent to. So what, if you don't mind, let, let's look at a couple of these prayers. Speaking of your favorite uh, collects yes. and uh, opening prayers. So collect and opening prayer mean the same thing. So what the germ says about uh, the priest prayer is it, quote, expresses the character of the celebration. Okay. So what I want to do is read you a couple of collects. And I want you to tell me which celebration it comes from. Ooh, quiz. Okay. Uh, yeah, I like it. All right. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Well, I'll just read them. You decide. Here's one. Grant, O Lord, that we may begin with holy fasting this campaign of Christian service so Ash that Wednesday. as we take up battle uh, yeah, against Ash spiritual Wednesday. evil, it's Ash Wednesday, right? Yeah. Uh, here's another one. O God, who in this wonderful sacrament have left us a memorial of your passion, Corpus Christi. grant us, we pray. It's Corpus Christi. What's interesting about this one is it's addressed to whom? Oh, God. To Jesus. Oh, to Christ, yeah. Most of them are to the Father, right? Almost all of them are to the Father, but only a, a couple of them speak directly to Christ. Corpus Christi is one of them. Here's one. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ, your Son, Ooh, was made yeah. known by the message of an angel. 
made by his passion and cross be brought to the Gordon. Christmas. Very close. It's for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Right. So that Angelus prayer comes. Uh, yeah, comes from right there. Okay, here's uh, let me give you a couple more. Almighty, ever-living God, whose will is to restore all things in your beloved Son, the King of the universe, grant, we pray, that Feast the Feast of Pius X. <laughs> Ooh, that was a trick. That was a trick. Christ the you King. fell for it. Christ the King. Now, but Jesse, Pius X is good, too. Listen hey, to Pius X. Come on. Listen that, to Pius that would X, have been though. appropriate. Listen to Pius X. O God, who to safeguard the Catholic faith and to restore all things in Christ filled Pope St. Pius X with heavenly wisdom and apostolic fortitude, grant, and so on. One I more. mean, I wasn't that far no, off. No, you I weren't. Was, you weren't. Yeah. Uh, here's another one. Oh, God, who opened your kingdom to those who are humble and to little ones, lead us to follow trustingly in the little way of St. blank. Therese of Lisieux. Therese of Lisieux. Now, you were on high alert because I told you this was going to be a quiz, but how often, I mean, if you're like me, how often... Do you hear that collect? And it's just, let us pray, blah, 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 through Christ our Lord. Amen. But you, you know, one of the things that, you know, when I've got my act together and I'm trying to be like God, see former podcast, what a very helpful thing to do is like a little Lexio Divina on the readings, but also on the collect. So try this. Look for next Sunday's collect on like Tuesday or Wednesday and pray next Sunday's collect four, five, three, two days in advance and sort of incorporate that into your daily prayer. Do a little Lexio on it. And it's amazing how the, the collect can cease then to become just this, you know, blah, 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 and really become this great uh, occasion of grace. And so you're talking about like a collectio divina. Oh, that's good, too. Uh, what do you think of that one, Dennis? Uh, I'll allow it. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, when you do pray the Liturgy of the Hours and you use the preppers in morning and evening prayer, this prayer appears, right, as well. Yeah. And yeah. so we talk about the Liturgy of the Hours as ex- extending the graces of the Mass throughout the day, and that's one of the ways that, that it does. Mm-hmm. You hear it again and you think about it again. Yeah. Hey, you know, maybe a, a couple more things before we end this one. Um now, there are three presidential, they're called presidential prayers, or three principal orations for the Mass. There's the collect, or opening prayer. There's the prayer over the offerings. And then there's the prayer after communion. What makes the collect different from the other two? Crick, you know? Crickets? Crickets? There's probably a number of right answers. But. Is, it, is it that um, it's the, like the beginning of all of that? No, so that- the opposite. It's the end. It's the end. It's the final collection. Well, what's the? How does the collect end, Dennis? You mentioned it before briefly. We asked us to the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus. No, the Christ. the conclusion for the collect is the longer Trinitarian conclusion through our, through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. The conclusion for the other two just has the short conclusion through Christ our Lord. Uh huh. Now. So what? <laughs> a couple of things here. Um, one thing is that when the when we went from the sacramentary to the missal, there was a change. Is that these the the longer conclusion used to begin half the time with "Grant this through your through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ," and the other half of the time we ask this through 
your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And now it just begins through our Lord, through your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, why is that? Because you've already done the other stuff. You've already asked and granted. And yeah. I, now you're right, I mean, right there. One you could say is that what in Latin, it's, it's just pair through. Um, one person explained it as if you say, uh, grant this, it's like we're speaking of, we're, we're sort of um, treating Jesus as schizophrenic, as we're treating his God, we're speaking to his God uh, nature, grant this because that's what gods do. And the other half time we say, we ask this as he is our human uh, uh, mouthpiece before God. And if just to say through captures both of those things, Christ as human uh, mediator and Christ as divine uh, granter of favors. Anyway, I don't know what you make of that. Another thing is that, you know, we, didn't we talk about this before? It used to say one God forever and ever, but now, yeah, the now we just say one, God. Yeah, the one is gone. It's just God forever and ever. Um, that was a little tricky one to understand. But uh, as far as I could tell, I mean, that too was in the Latin, but that um, it's not that Jesus is one God and the Father is one God and the Holy Spirit is one God. It's that all three of them together are God. So they were trying to alleviate that a little bit. So I still hear some priests. Uh, I don't know, didn't get the, the, the Curiel memo or something on that. The other thing is, is uh, let's go back to um, music on Sacram or the other uh, music documents, right? What is the first category of text to be sung in the celebration? Dialogues. Go, Jesse. Yeah. Anything to which the people can respond. And the collect would be one of those. If the priest sings the collect, the people can respond in song with amen. amen. But yeah. in the U.S. bishops, did you know, in the U.S. bishops uh, norms from 2007 called uh, Sing to the Lord Music and Divine Worship, it says that even for a priest who can't sing, he can recite everything until the conclusion. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Right. Because that conclusion is the same from one Sunday to the next Sunday to the next Sunday to the next. He doesn't have to learn a new piece of music or setting or anything like that. And so even just that conclusion, the bishops want clergy to sing either according to the tones in the missal or even what's called recto tono, because if they do, then the people in the assembly can well, and sing, sing well. in response so they could. So, recite the first part and then start yeah. singing. At yeah, the, that's uh, a legitimate doxology. option. Wow, you know, because it makes the people respond in song. That's great. It is. Yeah. Right. So again, you know, if the the kind of the gist of this season is, hey, let's actually go back and look what the what the book and the order of mass and the germ and the supporting documents say, and celebrate it not according to my theory, your theory, whatever it might be, but according to the books informed by the tradition, I think uh, this would go a long way to uh, shoring up kind of the normative form of the celebration of the Mass. So, mm -hmm. anyway, there's that last little uh, line there that says there is always oh, yeah. only one collect used in Mass. And it's a weird little statement because why would there be more than one? Do you know why, Chris? I think I have a I guess, do, but do. I don't know why. Well, you tell me. Uh, you I, you want me first. to guess first? Yeah. I think um, because there's only one prayer because before, well, yeah, but before um, Vatican II, if you had two feast days that fell on the same day, you would say both of them. Is that right? Yeah. Or sometimes you'd have overlap. We had a lot more octaves then. And I think you had to acknowledge the octave by at least saying uh, the collect and maybe some other thing. Well, you had to do other places as well. So you could have more than one collect in a mass because you were, you had your celebratory eyes on more than one celebration. 
So I think at the end of June when you've got John the Baptist and Sacred Heart of Jesus and you got other things going on and you could really you could have conceivably a number of uh, opening prayers at uh, mass as far as I understand. So not anymore. Only one. Clarification of the calendar right there. Boom. Yeah. All right. Can we get some more clarification with a liturgy question? I hope so. That I came up with? I don't know. Can we? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. All right. Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. All right, this week we have a question from uh, Jay Wild, no, Jesse W, for anonymity purposes. And uh, Jay Weiler says, hello, liturgy guys. Hello, Jesse. Hello, Jesse W. <laughs> For the record, this Jay could Wiley. be my brother, Joe. Nobody knows. Yep. Uh, Jesse, I mean, Jay says, I have been to Mass sometimes, and they've inserted a refrain in the Gloria going back to the first line. Is this permissible? Before you answer, Chris, all I say is this drives me C-R-A-Z. Why? Because we've said the words already, and we're smart enough to sing the whole thing. Now, maybe there was a time between the time of the council and the implementation of the books when people couldn't be expected to sing a whole Gloria, and they had could only learn one line, and it was all antiphonal and all that. But it just, to me, extends the Gloria longer and makes it unnecessary repetitions in the Vatican II sense. But, you know, I'm crabby. What do you think? <laughs> I like it is not a liturgical uh, and I hate it is also not a liturgical yeah. thing so I imagine it's allowed yeah. but I think it would not be ideal that's what I would say what do you say Chris yeah well here's what I know is that um, the USCCB right where do you go to find the answer I thought this was clearer than it was uh, Liturgium Authenticum tightened things up a little bit and they wanted a more uh, formal almost literal translation to the uh, Latin liturgical texts. Um, but Liturgiam Authenticum doesn't actually um, address this question. The USCCB, for its part, has uh, a policy from 1996 that speaks about it. Um, I don't know if it addresses it. I'm sorry, I should have read it before the podcast started. I don't know if it addresses this particular question, but I think there's some question as to how um, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, relevant those are, or are they still on the books? These 1996 uh, guidelines from the USCCB. Uh, so I don't know. It's 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 hard to locate a document that speaks explicitly about it. Now, the germ at least says this. And we talked about this in the in the podcast. It says, the text of this hymn may not be replaced by any other, right? Because it's going, it's talking about its ancient and venerable character, its scriptural base and things like that. So there's there's something in the mind of the church that says, don't mess with this, all right? You're not going to, the, the church has been singing this for centuries. Don't go and think that you're going to approve upon it by, you know, changing it, all right? That's at least how I read it. So uh, it may not be replaced by any other. This is how it's to be intoned. It says uh, by the priest or if appropriate, by a cantor or by the choir. So three different people can intone it. But it is sung either by everyone together or by the people alternately with the choir 
or by the choir alone. So three different ways of saying it. So there are a lot of different options about how to intone it and how to sing it. But in despite all of those options, nowhere does it give the uh, permission to, to, to set sort of a refrain type of, of uh, setting. So this is a long-winded way of saying is if there's a clear answer, I don't know what it is, but given what the germ says and kind of the tone of Liturgium Authenticum, if I were a betting man, I would say it's not really in the mind of the church to do that. It certainly doesn't say to do it, which is kind of, right, if doing something that, well, it doesn't say we can't do it. We talk about prescriptive and proscriptive instructions, right? So it doesn't encourage or say that this is the way to do it or mention it as a uh, legitimate variety. So I well, guess the, the real question is, why yeah. would you do it if it's if it doesn't say to do it? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. I mean, we've talked about it. It appears the nature of liturgical law and Roman law is uh, a prescriptive rather than proscriptive. It just tells you what to do. But even um, recall this uh, fantastic online course on the Liturgy of the Hours, Jesse, where we talked about the manner of singing the Psalms in the Liturgy of the Hours. Hey, that's coming out it, it, this. It's probably already out, it, but it, February with, with Chris Carson's Liturgy of the Hours. Look it, it up, says Liturgy you can online. sing it straight, straight through, or you can alternate strophes, or you can take that antiphon and repeat it between each strophe. I mean, so that it, it's, it's actually putting forward manners of singing it. That doesn't appear in this case. So again, I think the weight of the argument uh, in the absence of anything definitive, if in fact there is, isn't anything definitive. I think there is. Be not. Did you find something? I did. It's from Sing to the Lord, the document from the American Ooh. Bishops, paragraph 149. And it says, the addition of refrains to the glory to God is permitted, provided the refrains encourage congregational participation. But it also goes with what I was griping about before. <laughs> well, through composed settings of the glory, in other words, straight through, give clearest expression to the text, the addition of refrains is permitted, provided they encourage congregational participation. And the footnote is to the Bishop's Committee on the Liturgy Policy for the Approval of Sung Settings of Liturgical Text. From 1996, yeah. Okay, so it appears that uh, it's possible that it's permitted but it's not the uh sort of by way of exception but it's not the norm and it's like you're the, permitted to put raisins in oatmeal cookies no, and make them yeah, really better. Better. that's a bad yeah. analogy it's a bit of a crush <laughs> right it's kind of a crush if people can't sing the whole gloria you just let them sing the refrain i hear it at christmas time a lot you know the angels we have heard on high gloria oh uh, but that's something different but they'll sing oh, it in the it? gloria they'll sing the gloria oh. line with that part and then the choir will sing Different parts of the glory, and then the people oh, I've heard it to too. That. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. I've heard everything in the right. mass too. Oh, come, right. oh, come, Emmanuel. But in general, we avoid the, the simplicity, noble simplicity of the Roman rite avoids useless repetitions. Not all repetitions are useless, but this one does seem a bit useless outside of mere, you know, singing with yeah. people. Well, and again, if we keep going back to what we're, what we're about here is, uh, it's not that the Roman Missal and its rites and rubrics have been tried and found wanting. Rather, they've been found difficult and left untried. So we do other, you know, cute things. Why don't we actually go back and do what the book says uh, with the mind of why it says it? So I, I know if I were a music director, which I am, <laughs> I wouldn't do it. <laughs> what a good question, Rudiger. I, I mean, Jesse. No, I mean, Jay. <laughs> Jay uh, Jesse W. Good question, Jesse W. Uh, you seem like one of the most brilliant listeners we have. So uh, we're out of time. Keep, yeah. keep, <laughs> all right. If you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you and, and God, God bless. bless. God bless. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end. 
Our hosts are Chris, Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis, Big McNamara, and Jesse Y.O.Y.O. Weiler. Our producers are Michael Don't Be So Coy and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflecht. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat. Our official rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin. And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey Shrivam and Howe. And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the, the Liturgy, Liturgy Guys. guys.